going to be in Genesis, Genesis 17 and 18 tonight. Now, we've got a lot to cover, because if you really want to do this all together, you need to do all of chapter 17 and the first 15 verses of chapter 18. And I want to make sure that we can try to get the full concept of this. So we're going to jump right into this. But the way we're going to jump right into this is I'm just going to tell you the key verse right now. It's in Genesis 18. It's verse 14. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? That's the, that's the key verse. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? We can shut our Bibles up and go home right now. Because that's all that matters for tonight. Because the whole buildup of this tonight is Abraham is 99 years old. Sarah is 89 years old. God appears to Abraham. And then God and some angels appear to Abraham and Sarah to basically say, Hey, in one year you're going to have a child. And so we have Abraham's response to this. We have Sarah's response to this. And really what it comes down to is verse 14 of God saying, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, you know what? That is the simplest point. That's the simplest point. You know, it's one of those points where you stop and you say, Is there really anything else to say to that? Let's mark it. Let's underline it. Let's memorize it. Let's stick it on our fridge. Now let's go live it. But right now, as soon as I say, is there anything too hard for the Lord? There's somebody here tonight either hearing this or they're going to hear it online or get the CD of it. And they're going to think, yeah, but. But what? Well, I mean, yeah, I know nothing's too hard for the Lord. But I got this situation at work. I got this relationship issue. I got this bill. I got this whatever. And then all of a sudden you take God who can do anything and you just kind of minimize him to this little genie in a bottle that maybe it's too hard for him to do. Just really stop and look at verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I mean, is is anything. I've shared this example with you before, and it's not an original thought. It's, it's, I heard a pastor say this one time. He says somebody will come up to him at church and say, Hey, could you pray for me, pastor? i got a head cold. Yeah, sure, no problem. Let's just pray for you real quick. Lord, we pray you be with him. Just your hand of health will be upon him. Just help him through this head cold, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. Next guy comes up and says, Pastor, i got a brain tumor. Would you pray for me? Brain tumor? Boy, let's get the elders. Let's get the elders of the church. Let's get you anointed with oil. Let's get this over the prayer line. What? Let's do this. All of a sudden, we go cold brain tumor. Much, that's obviously a much bigger situation. We need better prayers, more prayers, more oil, prayer lines, fasting. And I'm not trying to downplay that. But then he said, Genesis 18:14 is anything too hard for the Lord? Why is it that all of a sudden I pray harder for cancer? I pray harder for salvation. But when my boys come up to me and say, Dad, I haven't seen my blanket, I don't call the prayer line. You know, we don't. We don't fast over a meal to find the toy. Is anything too hard for the Lord? We have to stop and think. God giving a child to a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman, that's nothing to him. He created the world in six days. He parted the Red Sea. He survived Noah and the flood. Jonah lived in a belly of a big fish. Is anything too hard for the Lord? So just keep that in the back of your mind. So now jump back to Genesis 17. Verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, real quick if you're a note taker, look at the end of verse 16. Abram was 86 years old. Now in verse 1, Abram is now 99. 13 years elapsed between verses 16 of chapter 16 and verse 1 of chapter 17. 13 years have passed. Ishmael is now pushing 14 years old, or excuse me, 13 years old here. What did Abraham think? Is this the kid? Is this the child? When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. 
And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I've made you a father of many nations. Let's stop there real quick. Part of the reason I like Wednesday nights is we get to chew on things a little bit. Once again, if you're a note taker, verse 1, I am almighty God. That's Hebrew for El Shaddai. First time that's ever used in the Bible. Almighty God. And God says, I'm almighty God. And basically for the rest of this chapter, I'm going to prove to you that I'm almighty God. So the bookends, the bookends in this message are really Genesis 17 verse 1, El Shaddai, Almighty God. Genesis 18 verse 14, is there anything too hard for the Lord? If you put your life between Almighty God and is there anything too hard for the Lord, what do you have to be worried about? It all comes together. Now, this phrase, I will, is used ten times in this chapter. This whole chapter is God making promises to Abraham. I will do this, I will do that. Ten times in this chapter, the phrase is, I will. What is he going to do? Verse 2, I will make my covenant between me and you. That word covenant is a very strong word. We don't use that phrase covenant too much. we got a wedding coming up here this weekend, and we talk about the covenant of marriage. That this is stronger than a promise. It's stronger than just an agreement. This is the covenant, that promise God is saying, I'm making a covenant with you. I will multiply you. My covenant is with you. You shall be a father, verse 4, of many nations. And to prove this, I'm changing your name. Your name is Abram, which means exalted father. I'm now calling you Abraham, father of a multitude. Father of a multitude. At this point in time, Abraham has one child. And it's not the child even with his wife. It's with Hagar. Father of a multitude. At age 99, he is now father of a multitude with one child. This is a perfect example of faith. Abraham has to trust what God is going to do. Verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God and to your descendants after you. And I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger. All the land of Canaan is an everlasting possession and I will be their God. So look at the promises right here. Verse 6, you'll be fruitful. You'll have many nations. Kings will come from you. Verse 7, this is an everlasting covenant. Verse 8, you will have land. Look at all the promises here. Kids, nations, kingdoms, lands. You're the father of exalted nations. You're a father of a multitude. He still only has one kid. What's going to go on here? Verse 9, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant. So now here's the deal. Okay, here's the fine print, Abraham. I'm going to do all these things for you. This is what you need to do for me, verse 10. This is my covenant with you, and you shall keep between me and you and your descendant after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or brought with money, from any foreigner who is not your descendant. He who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. My covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So that's the deal. I'm going to make you a nation. 
I'm going to give you descendants. You will have kings. I will give you land. And I can't stress this to you enough. Verse 17, everlasting covenant. This is going to go on forever. What I'm asking you to do is to be willing to do the circumcision. Now, what a strange request. I mean, what a strange request. What is it about this idea of circumcision that is really that big a deal? Well, you've got to remember circumcision is this. Circumcision is an outward sign of an inward change. By these guys getting, being willing to get circumcised, they're willing because they say their heart is willing to serve God. And since my heart is willing to serve God, I'm willing to do this outward change to my body to show the Lord how much I care. Now, getting circumcised, this is so important, doesn't save any of them. Remember, we already covered this. Genesis 15, verse 6. Abraham was saved by faith. But the circumcision shows they were willing to go public, if you will, with their love for the Lord. Very similar to what we do with baptism today. It's an outward sign of an inward change. Getting baptized does not save you. Baptism shows the world that you are saved. You're willing to go through that. The idea of circumcision. That idea of I'm willing to do this and it shows that I'm set apart. Now there's a lot of symbolism that goes with it. You know, the cutting off the foreskin is supposed to be a representation of cutting off of the sin of life. You know, the Bible says that we're circumcised on the inward parts of our heart, meaning that God cuts away this flesh that's a problem. But you've got to remember this. Circumcision today does not do anything. If you're a note taker, 1 Corinthians 7 verse 19, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Paul says, I don't care if you're circumcised, I don't care if you're not circumcised. What does he care about? Keeping the commandments of God is what matters, is what he says. Circumcision is nothing, uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Now, we don't think that way today, but we sure think that way about certain things, don't we? I'm not trying to pick on anybody or any religion. Don't take it that way. I run into people sometime and I'll ask them, are you saved or are you a Christian? Their first response is, well, I was baptized. Well, that doesn't save you. Well, I went through catechism. I went through confirmation. I went through first communion. Fill in the blank. All those things may have value. All those things may be good. But are you keeping the commandments of God and do you know Jesus Christ personally? That's what matters. See, what happened is, when Paul was writing that in the New Testament, there were Jews that were saying, I'm in. Why? Because I went through the circumcision. Paul's response to that was, so basically, since and this is the word he uses, so since you were mutilated, you're now set for eternity? No, it doesn't work that way. That's Christ and Christ alone. God gives the covenant of circumcision in the Old Testament to be an outward sign of an inward heart for the Lord. We have that for baptism today. Circumcision in the Old Testament did not save any one of them, but it showed their heart was willing to serve the Lord, and the cutting off of the foreskin represented the cutting off of that sinful nature and being willing to follow the Lord in all ways and all things. That's the covenant that God gave Abraham. So that's the deal. Abraham... You're the father of many nations. You get land, kings, kingdoms, uh, this generation, everlasting covenant, etc. And the way we're going to make this deal is you're going to be willing to go through this circumcision process to show your willingness to cut off that sin in your life and be willing to serve me. Paul in the New Testament says we've been circumcised in the heart, meaning that in our heart we've cut off that flesh, that disgusting sin, and are willing to serve the Lord. Let's stop right there for a quick break because we've covered a lot of stuff. Anybody have any first questions? Any questions, comments over the first 14 verses here of the covenant and what God promised Abraham and what God asked of Abraham?
Okay. Oh, sorry. Yes, Cindy. No, this is a promise given to Israel, and those promises are an everlasting promise that's still being held today. If you look at this, Israel did fulfill these promises. If you look here in verse 6, Israel was exceedingly fruitful. Israel did have nations come out. Israel did have kings come out. God still has a covenant with Israel. The only one that we can look at right now is verse 8 is the land issue. And obviously that's why there's not peace in the Middle East. The land is Israel's and God promised them to that. And that's something that will be fulfilled when Jesus rules and reigns for a thousand years called the millennial reign. But the rest of the stuff was fulfilled already. So how did then, why was it changed? Well, it was, this is what happened is, it wasn't necessarily changed. What happens is we still had the sin problem that had to be taken care of. Circumcision did not save anybody from their sins in any way whatsoever. So that's why in the New Testament we have something called the New Covenant. Where God has now made a promise with us that through Jesus we can have salvation and go to heaven. So now in the New Testament we have something called the New Covenant. The Old Covenant still exists. God still made these promises to Abraham and to the Jews. Let's never ever forget that. But in the New Testament, salvation is based solely on Jesus and Jesus alone. That's why Paul said circumcision avails nothing. But how is that not a sin? I mean, how, not a sin, but how is that not right if God said you want to be circumcised? Right. What happened was, is through the covenant of Abraham, that's how you were circumcised. When Jesus came in, he gave us a clean slate. He started everything from scratch. That's what it is. That's why the law was fulfilled through Christ. Because Christ was circumcised at eight days old. He fulfilled all the requirements for us. Anybody else got any quick questions, comments here before we move on? Okay, one more name change. Verse 15. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you should not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her, and then I will bless her and the king, and she shall be a mother of nations, kings and people shall be from her. The name Sarai, let's talk about this, means princess, Sarah, means noble woman. So God does a couple name changes here. He promises them a kid, and everything's fine and dandy. Now, if we would just stop right there, okay, that sounds makes sense. But Abraham's honest. Verse 17, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? <coughs> Now, I've read some commentaries where they said he laughed out of joy. I don't take it that way. I take it as Abraham laughing, saying, are you serious? You're serious about this, God? I'm a 100-year-old man. I'm going to be 100 years old. And I'm going to have a kid with the 90-year-old woman. That You're serious about this, Lord. Now, you may sit here and say, yep, that's a laugh of joy. I don't see that. I see this as being a laugh of, are you serious, Lord? Seriously, have you ever had something, and this has happened to me before, where I'm talking to someone and they're going through an awful time. I mean, they're really going through an awful time. And so they come to me and they're going through this awful time and they explain to me what the awful time is and they expect me to stop and say something like, you're right, that's awful. And I'll stop and I'll put a smile on my face and say, boy, the Lord's really going to use this for good. And the response is laughter. It's not laughter of joy. It's laughter of, are you serious? You're really serious that you think the Lord's going to use this for good. I could be completely wrong on this, and when I get up and talk to Abraham in heaven, I'll ask him. But at this point, I take it as Abraham saying, God, are you serious? 
Have you not ever had a moment where you've read some promise? And maybe this morning, or excuse me, this evening, when I said in verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? Maybe in your heart you laughed. Yeah, is anything too hard for the Lord? Do you know what I'm going through? What happens next? Verse 18, and Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. See, I take verse 18 as Abraham now trying to insert his own will. God, what about Ishmael? Can't Ishmael be the promised child? I mean, you've got to think about this. I firmly believe Abraham loved Ishmael at this point. I mean, without a doubt. This is his son. He's had him for 13 years. I mean, this is his pride and joy at this point. And so verse 18 of, oh, that Ishmael might live before you, I think this is Abraham trying to say, God, can't we just use Ishmael? Now, this is where we've got to talk about this. Can you go with me to James 4, please? James 4. I love the honesty of the Bible. Because what we're really dealing with here is God has just made this huge promise to Abraham. Land, kids, nations, etc. You're going to have a baby. Abraham's response is, I'm laughing, followed by, can't we just use Ishmael? Now, just be honest with yourself. Have you not ever done that with the Lord? I'm embarrassed to say I've done that too many times. Where you're kind of praying over something, and it's almost like you just start to insert advice to God. You know, God, can't we just do this? This is a really good idea, and I pray that you'd bless this. Amen. I mean, how many times do we pray that way? Lord, here's what I want. Bless it. I have people come up to me all the time. And if you've done this recently, I apologize. I hope you don't think I'm speaking about about you. People come up to me all the time and say, pray I get this job. No, I'll pray for what's God's best for you. Just because you think it's the best job may not be the best job. I have people come up and say, I met this guy. Pray that God blesses it. This guy may be a jerk. No, I'm not going to pray that God blesses it. I don't know what the Lord wants. Look at James 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. That literally means a morning fog. It's there for a little bit and it just disappears. Instead, you ought to say, verse 15, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this, but now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. I don't know how many times over the years people have come up to me and they have these huge life plans. They're moving, they're getting married, they're changing jobs, they're doing all this stuff. And and you stop and say, is that where the Lord led you? And you just see their faces go blank. Like that's the dumbest question they've ever heard. And they'll say something like, well, it it sounds good. You know, if that's what we're basing life on, what sounds good, that's what the Lord wants. And I cannot stress to you enough, if you've got a big life decision... If you've got a small life decision, just check and see what God wants you to do. Pray, seek. It's not your will. It's not your wisdom. You don't know anything. I don't know anything. That's why when I see verse 18 back in Genesis 17, this is Abraham trying to, it looks like, sneak his little idea in here. What about Ishmael? God shoots it down, verse 19. God said, no, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. For those that don't know this, the name Isaac means laughter. Isn't that funny? God says, name the kid laughter because you laughed at it. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant with his descendants after him. God is making this abundantly clear. Verse 19. No. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. Sarah is giving you a son. You call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant with his descendants after him. What about Ishmael? Verse 20. As for Ishmael... 
I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget twelve princes and will make him a great nation. If you want to check this out in verse 20, if you go to Genesis 25 when it lists the lineage of Ishmael, he does have twelve sons. And to this day, some people believe, and the Bible seems to teach this, that the Arab nations there are the descendants of Ishmael. So God did bless him. But he establishes this, verse 21. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. God is making this abundantly clear. It is Sarah, it is you, it is Isaac, and that's the guy. So God cuts it off. That's the end of the conversation. Now, think about this for a second. That's the deal. Now, Abraham needs to go and explain this to his family and friends and his servants. Wouldn't you not have loved to hear that conversation? Abraham shows up to his servants, and he calls a little servant meeting. He calls Ishmael. He says, guys, God appeared to me. Wouldn't that be pretty cool? God appeared to me, and he says that uh, Sarah and I are going to have a kid next year. Wow, that's amazing. 100 years old, 90, I know. Fascinating, right? So they're having this conversation. And God's promised me land. God's promised me a nation. God's promised me to be fruitful. God's promised me everything. There's only one little condition to this. And everybody's like, that's no problem. Well, this condition is circumcision. Now, how would you explain that to your male servants? How would you explain that to Ishmael? Verse 22, then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. So Abraham took Ishmael's son, all who were born in his house, all who were brought with his money, every male among them of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins. That very same day, as God has said to him. That is obedience. That very same day. If I was in Abraham's position, this is what I would think. I got a year. I just got to get it done over the next year. So I'll put it off for a while. That very same day. Verse 24. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised in his son Ishmael. And all the men of his house, born in the house, or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Now, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here. Back in Genesis 14... How big of an army did Abraham get around? 318 trained servants who were born in his house. So that was 318 trained servants. And that was, quick math, 15, 20 years ago. So we're talking assembly line circumcision here of potentially hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men. Now, just stop for a second. And some of you are saying, I can't believe that we're spending this much time. I've never heard the word circumcision and foreskin mentioned so much in my life. I have five boys. I'm kind of familiar with this process. The point, though, is this. This is kind of a big deal. This is not just words. I'll follow you, God. This is actions. So let's put this in perspective. When the Lord says to you, why don't you go tell that coworker you're going to pray for him? Telling a coworker I'm going to pray for him and circumcising 900 to 1,000 people. There is not a comparison in any way whatsoever. Isn't it amazing these things we drag our feet on and we're like, oh, I don't really want to get up early and spend 10 minutes in prayer. I don't really want to read that chapter tonight. I mean, I heard they need servants in the back. You want to be circumcised at 99 years old? 
It's amazing how, let's just be honest, how wimpy we have gotten as Christians. I I, I want to just hit this point one more time just to make sure everybody's on the same page. Verse 23, that very same day. That very same day. That is obedience. We drag our feet. The Lord laid it on my heart to do this a couple weeks ago, and I know He was kind of wanting me to do it, and you know, I know I should. Well, then by golly, go do it. What are we waiting on here? Abraham is an example of a man of faith. He's also an example of a man of action. That's why I like Abraham. But you know what? He's also honest. Verses 17 and 18. Are you serious, Lord? You're really going to give me a kid? Are you serious? Well, about Sarah's response, verse 1 of Genesis 18. Then the Lord appeared to him by the terabith trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes, looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the ground, and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourself under the tree, and I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by, and as much as you have... Come to your servant. They said, Do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them underneath the tree as they ate. Just real quick, put this in perspective right here. Verse 2, he sees them, he runs to them. Okay? Verse uh, 6 right here. Quickly make the meal. Abraham hurried into the tent. Verse 7, Abraham ran to the herd. This guy's moving. He healed up pretty quick. Still 99 years old. Now the time frame I think is pretty close to what happened in chapter 17. Now just think about this one more time for for an example here. And I don't mean to pick on you. I really don't because I struggle with this. So I'm just going to make this abundantly clear. If God has asked you to do something, run and get it done. Why are we waiting? He, he, that very same day, circumcised all of his servants. He knows that this is the Lord here. He knows that this is God. He knows what's going on. So he hurries, he runs, he does this. This guy is moving. And once again, just to pick on us, and I include myself, we drag our feet on so much. I am willing to bet that every one of us here tonight has something the Lord has laid on your heart. And you just don't want to do it. And so you're dragging your feet on it. And here's the 99-year-old man running around preparing a meal. We could learn from this. Verse 9. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, Here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now Sarah was listening in the tent door, which is behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure in my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? That kind of creeps you out, doesn't it, a little bit? Sarah laughs within her heart. And he says, Why did Sarah laugh? Today the boys, it's a nice, beautiful spring day, so we sent them outside. Lock the door, you can't come in for the longest time. So they're out there playing. Layden, our fourth one, four years old, I was watching him through the window. And he's just doing something dumb. He's doing something wrong. He has no idea I'm watching him. I knock on the window, and you should have seen that little guy jump. He got caught. Sarah, 
gets caught. Verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Verse 14, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will turn to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Look at Sarah's great response, verse 15. Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid, and he said, No, but you did laugh. What a, what a silly verse, verse 15. God, I didn't laugh, I didn't laugh. Yes, you did. We still do the same thing. We still do the same thing. I don't need to say I'm sorry. They need to say they're sorry. No, you need to say you're sorry too. No, I don't. They do. We sound like these immature little kids. I didn't do anything wrong because if they wouldn't have done it, I wouldn't have lost my temper, so it's really their fault for doing it, and I was just reacting to what they did. We have these little excuse conversations with God where God lays it on our heart. Go make peace. Go say you're sorry. Go do this. Why would, Lord, but they did this. So once again, what's Isaac's name? Laughter. Isn't this something? Sarah has waited 90 years to have a child. She doesn't get to name the kid, and she has to name the kid Laughter to constantly remind her and to constantly remind Abraham you doubted God. You doubted God. And God, in his infinite grace and wisdom, he could have said, guys, I'm so done with you. But he doesn't. Verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? That's the point that happens. Let's let's finish this up. What can we learn from this? There's the theological we can learn from this. God has blessed Israel and will continue to bless Israel. And we can never forget the covenant, the promise he made with them. Let's also remember this. Abraham was a man of obedience. That very same day, he was willing to do it, get circumcised and circumcise his family. We also see him in Genesis 18. When he knew what the Lord wanted him to do, he ran, he hurried, he moved quickly. Lord, help us to do what you call us to do, to be men and women of obedience. And Lord, help us to move quickly. With Sarah, we see a God of grace. She's laughing. She's, she's doubting God. And God says, is anything too hard for me? So I guess what I want to finish with is this. Three things. I don't know what you brought in here tonight. First point I want you to take home is nothing is too difficult for God. Nothing. If you have doubt, trust the Lord. Number two, if God has asked you to do something, just like Genesis 18, do it quickly. Why are you dragging your feet? If you know what you're doing is wrong, then quickly stop. If you know what he's called you to do is right, then quickly do it. And lastly, in Genesis 17, if God has asked you to do something and it's a really difficult task, don't drag your feet. Be obedient. Show the Lord your obedience. And as you show the Lord your obedience, He will take care of you. He truly will. I guess what it kind of sums up to is this. That passage we read in 1 Corinthians 7. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Am I obedient in my relationship with the Lord? Am I doing what He's told me to do quickly? And am I doing what He's told me to do no matter how difficult it is? We can learn a lot from Abraham and Sarah. We completely change directions here in two weeks. Next week is Excellent Wednesday. But when we come back in two weeks, it's about Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's a story we've obviously heard a lot, but we'll get into the background of that as well. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here about anything in Genesis 17, 18? Yes, Cindy. Right. 
Two things on that. I don't remember how exactly how old Sarah lived to, but if I remember correctly off the top of my head, somebody correct me on this, I think Abraham lived 170. So he's still older because this is post-flood, so they're not living to six, seven, eight hundred years. Okay, so it's because of after Yes, it's because it's after the flood. So yes, they, I believe Abraham was 170 when he died. That's off the top of my head. So he still has got some years left, but he is point, past the point. Plus, the Bible does specifically state for Sarah she was past the point of having children. Yeah. And I can't remember how old, I can't remember how old Sarah lived, but check it out. I think Abraham was 170 off the top of my head. What is it? Abraham lived 127? Sarah lived 127. So, you know, think about Yeah, 37 years left. So, Anybody else got any final questions, comments here before we close up? All right, let's pray. Lord, nothing's too difficult for you. Nothing. Help us not to hear that, but to live it. Help us not just to hear that tonight, but to take that home, to apply that to all these problems and stresses we have in life, that nothing is too difficult for you. Lord, whatever you've asked us to do, help us to be obedient like Abraham was that very same day. Lord, whatever you've asked us to do, help us to hurry, to do it quickly, Lord. Not quickly in the sense of haphazardly, but quickly in the sense of obediently to you. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, We have a wedding this weekend. If we could get some help splitting the chairs and clearing the stage would really appreciate it. So you guys have a good week and God bless.